This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hi, everyone. Welcome out to the Wealth Standard Radio. This is episode 160. My name is Patrick Donahoe, and I am joined here by the, by now, infamous yes. Will from the streets, right? Is that your is that the name? I Will, think so. Will, we, of the, Will of the streets. We talked about a, a rapper name for me last time, and I think it was. I right, think that's dude, what well, it was. It's so. codified. You're, okay. you're, that's that's what we'll put on uh, your bio. Okay, that sounds good. All right, we uh, we have a cool topic to talk about today, and uh, Will Will Streets here to discuss it with me, and it's going to be the auto industry. It's a huge market, mm. and it's affecting I think two parts of the economy, both from the credit standpoint, the investment standpoint, as well as the actual individual street level person, right? Right. Okay. So that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna talk about. Should cool. be uh, should be interesting. There's a lot of things to uh, kind of scratch your head about. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think everybody has has had to one degree or another some sort of bad automobile loan <laughs> purchase experience, right? Yeah. And uh, so I've had my share. And you're in the market right now, dude. I'm so kick, this is gonna be yeah. huge for you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kicking the tires a little bit, literally, on some cars <laughs> these days. So yeah, we're, so we're uh, we're actually in the process of writing an ebook, and the ebook is going to be a guide to make money off of buying cars. Because right now, you know, from some of our initial research, uh, the average individual loses up to ten thousand dollars per car Jeez, when you factor crazy. in interest. You factor in the difference between uh, dealer price and MSRP, mm. and when you also factor in, you know, other other things they're throwing there, plus the inefficiency of the process. Because a lot of people like, you know, they'll they'll spend time doing this and this and this and this. So we are basically writing an ebook. Uh, so Bill Fogergren, who is uh, our kind of auto expert because he's in the industry for a number of years, he him and I are going to kind of go through and, and we're going to write it. So it's going to have a guide. It's going to have cool. a, a calculator, and uh, hopefully it will help people to make money on cars as opposed to getting fleeced. Ah, that'll be huge. Right, so we'll talk about awesome. some. We'll talk yeah. about some of the topics. Uh, topics today. That's cool. Cool. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and do let's do this. So so first, I want to you know kind of create context with uh, the first part of this uh, this topic, which is uh, which is investment, right? So the big short. Right, mm-hmm. you read you read the book. Read the book, yeah. Okay. So, what's the big short about? Like, what's the main theme of uh, of Lewis's? You know, of, of why he wrote why he wrote the book, yeah. why the movie came out? Because it's still a super popular super movie, popular, yeah. Right, but I'm still like, it, it was even hard for me to really understand, even you know, at the, the foundational level, like what what went on. Yeah, what okay? happened. So maybe you kind of give a, a an overview of that. We've had a couple podcasts in the past. Andy yeah. Andy Tanner and I did a few of them, and you know, we really talked about that to a degree. So you can go back and listen to, to previous podcasts if you want more of an in-depth view uh, or perspective or information about this movie. But yeah, why don't you uh, kind of give Michael Lewis his kind of snapshot? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially it was um, the subprime uh, loan industry, right? It was was loans being made to- Mortgages, right? Mortgages, Mortgages, yeah. yeah, yeah, Mortgages specifically, yeah. So single family homes, loans being made, you know, and subprime, what that obviously means is subprime meaning a less than stellar- uh, individual in terms of their credit, their income, et cetera. And so they're, they're qualifying people for these mortgages. Uh, and, and then what they, what they do essentially is they bundle those mortgages and they sell them off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these big investment firms are buying up these bundled, uh, kind of chunks of subprime loans. Um, only instead of, you know, full disclosure to investors, mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to what those loans were like in terms of their subprime status, mm-hmm. you have you know crediting agencies rating them, giving them fantastic credit ratings, 
um, and and they had no business giving you know sure. giving them those those ratings. And so these massive investment firms buying up just these massive chunks of of mortgages, you know, just in massive amounts at yeah. a time, and the American public having no clue what's of what happening. was going on. Yeah, and and you know owning. Uh, you know, mutual funds and those types of things that have or that are comprised of, you know, in varying degrees, you know, portions of these subprime loans. Yeah. And then pretty soon, of course, the chickens start to come home to roost yep. where people, you know, shockingly, the guy who makes $20,000 a year, but who is qualified for a $500,000 home loan, yep. he defaults. Yeah. Right. And that starts to happen little by little by little by little and pretty soon that thing spirals out of control. Cool. So let's take let's let's take a step back cuz you just did a ton of information in oh, like sorry. <laughs> 3 3 minutes. That was like a rec- that was like a record. Uh, but you hit on amazing points, right? Okay. So the first first thing is, you know, when you look at when you look at a mortgage, mm-hmm. right? What do most most individuals look at when they, you know, when they think of okay, here's a mortgage, right? It's a yeah. loan that's given by a bank to an individual to yeah. purchase a home, right? Right? And they purchase the home and then they make payments on that on that mortgage, right? right. Now most mortgages are 30 years long. Okay. Now, 30 years, long time. Yeah. Okay. It's really long time. Do most people stay in their home for 30 years? And definitely not these days. Right. right? I think the not average is like four, four to five, four mm-hmm. to five years. Right. So that's kind of where everything ends for most people, right? That the bank gives them a loan, they pay the bank. Right. But do banks ever house those loans, right? Do they ever, are they the ones that are lending their money to do it? Okay. Right. And that's where it kind of gets a lot more complex, right? right? Because initially, do they use their own money? For sure. Okay. But then they have a, you know, an investment bank that will buy it from them. Now they'll still right. service it like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Chase. They will still collect the payments and then they'll take that payment and then pay the the investor, the investment bank. Right. Right. But typically what happens is that investment bank will purchase the mortgage from them and then add it to uh, basically a huge huge, huge, a huge yes. mortgage of mortgages, right? right. A huge loan or, or a huge uh, security of mortgages, which could be thousands and thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of them, right? And that's called, you know, collateralized mortgage obligation, uh, collateralized debt obligation. So those are, you know, these big package securities. Now, who are buying these big kind of loans upon loans upon loans, okay? You have, as you said, mutual funds, uh, pension funds are buying yeah. them. Now, why are they buying them? It's kind of the idea of derivative because the mm-hmm. theory was that, you know, if you have thousands and thousands of mortgages, okay, within one mortgage or one, you know, big security, if one person defaults, it's not really going to matter, right? Right. Two people default, not really going to matter. Three people, four people, who cares? Right. So the more you have in there, the stronger the security is. Right. right. All right. So that's kind of the idea behind, you know, going from stage one, which is between a consumer and a bank. Stage two goes from uh, the bank to the investment bank. And then stage three is from the investment bank to uh, a pension fund. Right. Uh, or um, uh, a mutual fund. Right. Or, or type of fund. And so that's what's interesting is who usually owns or who usually is the owner or uh, the investor in mutual funds and, um, you know, these uh, these pension funds. Right. It's the same person who takes out the mortgage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it kind of come off. It's got, it to roost and it's yeah. like, and who gets fleeced in the end, right? Yeah. It, it's the consumer because they yep. get killed on the loan side of things. Yeah. 
right? And then they get killed on the investment side of things. Uh, and then who makes all the money in between? It, it's, it's fascinating, thing, yeah. right? So, so these days you kind of look at, all right, you look at the, uh, you know, the, the mortgage industry, and right now we are at like record low home ownership, right? So who owns homes, right? And that is a great question. That's a topic for another day, yeah. right? But the if you look at the home ownership rates, somebody owns the homes. So investors, right, like a real estate investor, may own some. Uh, but here's what's fascinating: is there are these huge hedge funds and private equity funds that own just hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands millions of homes. And you, now you have international investors like China and Japan, right. uh, India that are buying tons of homes in the U.S. Interesting, fascinating, right? So anyway, it's it's kind of like the American public, right, got kicked out of their house, okay, <laughs> and because, you know, obviously the economy tanked, their job was put in jeopardy, uh, they didn't have a paycheck, and so they had to default on their mortgage, right, and they, you know, because obviously food was more important than, than that, right. right, and then, you know, most people don't have any savings, so they were kind of forced out of their homes and forced to go, uh, you know, live in uh, an apartment, right, or live in like a mother-in-law apartment. I remember right. during, you know, during the 2008-2009, um, I had rented out uh, one of our units like which is like the first place that Cynthia and I lived when we were married um in, it's like this basement you know basement apartment of a duplex and it's like kind of dungy and you know there's hardwood floors on the top unit and so there's like you know you can hear everything it's oh, crazy yeah. but you had this family of five right they got kicked out of their house lost their job and moved into this tiny tiny apartment right to to make things work for the time being so anyway my point is it's like everybody's got kicked out and now you know who owns all the homes Right, who owns all the homes are the you know people that really got bailed out through this whole process, which are banks, investment banks, right. pension funds, and so forth. It's crazy, kind of how it comes full circle. Full circle, and who in the end pays the price? Unfortunately, yeah, it's the people who were kicked out. It's yep. the American public. All right, so now you know you look at the potential for mortgage defaults. Mm-hmm. Right, I would say right now the potential for mortgage defaults is is relatively low. Right. Okay. Um, now, it, you know, looking at 2008, it was far enough in the past that those that filed bankruptcy, those that were in the foreclosure, can now qualify, right. right? So you may have an increased amount of demand, okay? Um, but really, looking at uh, you know the potential uh, default on a large scale, it's probably probably pretty pretty slim. Right. But let's 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 uh, uh, rewind to 2007. Okay. Okay. So the mortgage crisis didn't really start in, in, in 2007, right? At the end of 2007, there's a, some of the uh, big investment banks are doing a tons of some probably started to fall. Right. Um, I think like New Century was in there. American Home Mortgage was in there. Um, Countrywide, I think was in there. Countrywide happened a little bit later, right? In 2008, 2009. Uh, but the event in 2007 that most people are unaware of, it was kind of masked by the whole mortgage crisis, was the automobile uh, mm-hmm. loan industry. So if you remember in like 2000. 2007, oil prices shot up, right? Right, and gas went to like over four bucks a barrel or a yeah. gallon, and and the and the value of SUVs plummeted. The mm-hmm. default rates on SUV loans were like in the toilet. It was crazy. Okay, and that you look at that and like, okay, well, why would that spark like a uh, you know some sort of a decline, yeah. right, or 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 market corrections? Well, it's because most automobile loans are the are positioned the same way as mortgages. Hmm. Right? right. So <clears throat> again, going from ba- uh, bank to consumer, first phase. Okay, bank to investment bank is the second phase. Okay, so looking at a bank like a like a, a Chase or, or Wells Fargo, uh, they will basically uh, purchase. Okay, or they'll do that. They'll initiate or originate the loan. Then they will sell it to these same right. kind of conglomerates. 
Is that fascinating? It's crazy. And there's a ton of there's a ton of uh, subprime as well. So right now there is this massive bubble in in a couple of different pla- credit places, which is one student loans. Uh, number two is the uh, is automobile loans. Hmm. All right. So right now I think it's uh, of all of them. I gosh, and we'll source this. Uh, we'll source this on uh, on the show notes. Uh, but right now, there's about $1.2 trillion of automobile loans. Wow, okay? that's crazy. And the uh, the percentage of those loans that are subprime is almost 25%. Wow. Now, subprime is when I have a credit score of 600 or less, mm-hmm. uh, and the interest rate is over 10%. Wow. Okay? So... Let's do some math on that, yeah. right? What is, you know, if you really look at like the uh, the the depreciation of a car, cars mm-hmm. depreciate pretty fast. Well, oh, it depends yeah. on the car, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Right, but over the course of like you know, let's say five years, right? What is a car depreciating by? Ten to fifteen percent. Sure. Okay. Loan interest is at ten percent. So really, when it comes down to it, over the course of this like five year, six year, seven year period of time, when somebody owns a car, right, they get hosed. Yeah. Right. And who is perpetuating this and how is it going to end? So there's a lot of kind of conjecture out there as far as, you know, what what's going to happen. Um, but if you really look at the increase in defaults, that is what's going to most likely trigger in markets, okay, a, you know, some sort of a, a correction. Mm. Okay, so let's go, to the, let's go to the big short. So in the okay. big short, right, what, uh, what started to cause the chaos, okay, in the mortgage market? Okay, because remember, in the big short, the main characters, what were they doing? They were essentially buying insurance against the the default of, of these CDOs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were essentially betting on the fact that they would eventually fail. Yep. And, you know, the, the, the investment banks on the other side were, in the beginning especially, more than happy to sell them these in effect insurance policies right because they they didn't see necessarily the writing on the wall they yeah. didn't see those things starting to default so these you know these main characters started to kind of see you know the smoke yeah. trickling up you know when For there's sure. smoke there's fire yeah. and so they started buying up massive well, it, amounts and of, that's the logical thing dude it's yeah. like okay if you have like thousands and thousands of these things packaged yeah. street, it's like well you know more home values are always going to go up they always have yeah, yeah. right and a, a bunch of people defaulting at the same time. Yeah. Right. So that's where, you know, a lot of these investment banks just were not seeing the writing on the wall. Yep. Okay. Of the lax underwriting standards of the oh, actual yeah. mortgages that were being put into their securities. Right. So going, you know, you, you hit on something. I just want to make sure that we, you know, uh, talk elementary about it. Sure. Which is you had these these insurance policies. Mm-hmm. Get the, these these guys, you know, the main characters of this movie and book and, and book. Uh, we're actually they're real life. I mean, they're real life guys. Yeah. Um, but they they created those. Right. Okay. So if you remember, they went to you know they went to the Goldman Sachs, so they went to the Merrill mm-hmm. Lynch's, they went to all the places that had these you know CDOs, CMOs, uh, ABSs, the you know asset backed securities. They they had these instruments. So basically, they said, we want to do an agreement with you. Okay. That says uh, we will pay you. Okay. Uh, for this agreement, this insurance policy, this is a premium. Yep. Okay, and you pay us 
okay, if the default rate is at a certain percent certain of mm-hmm. this security, right? Yep. So if you had a security that was, you know, $100 billion, right? Then if the default rate hit like 15%, I don't remember what the percentage is. Do you remember? Either. Yeah, no, I think but... it was like in the 10 to 20% range. Right. We'll mm-hmm. have to verify that. But when it hits that default percentage, it will trigger the insurance the policy, mm-hmm. right? It'll trigger the payout, right? So they're paying premium upon premium. And they were paying like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, right. billions uh, in these derivatives, right? right? These insurance policies, right? But the payoffs were like massive. massive. Dude. They're like 10 yeah. times. It was, it was huge. So if you really, it, it was, I was going to use the Donald Trump huge again, but <laughs> I think that's totally worn its welcome. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but looking, yeah, looking at, you know what? When when that started to trigger, uh, it was that asset that started to affect the financial statements yep. of these investment firms, right? Right. Because if they have an insurance policy, they just can't like keep it in a drawer. They have to put it on the you know. Yeah, that's so yeah. So looking at you know what they were now on the hook for, given these default rates. That is one of the things that totally spiraled the mortgage market out of control. Right. So what would you guess is happening right now, right, with ABSs, you yeah. know, asset-backed securities, CDOs that have, you know, student loans, that have mortgages, that, mm-hmm. what's happening? I'm guessing, yeah, subprime car loans are the new subprime mortgage. Yeah. And yeah. and you have these investment guys mm-hmm. that are writing, that are creating the insurance policies against them. Right. Okay. And that is what's scary. Because what caused it before was that, but what's causing it now, right? It's these derivatives, right? They're going to be out there. So what I would say is, you know, from an investment standpoint, most people are like, well, I don't give a crap. I, I buy cars cash and I do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. Um, it doesn't matter whether you have an automobile loan or not. This affects you because if you own a mutual fund, yep. right? Um, if you, if you own, uh, if you're part of a pension, Right, so I was I was in Nashville this this past week, and uh, one of the guys, Seth, that, that runs the the group that I was with, he sent out an announcement the night before, and they're in the music industry, mm-hmm. and there is kind of like a there's there's different guilds and there's different groups there, and um, and unions or whatever for for musicians, and they have a pension fund. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically they received a letter, and that letter basically said that the music pension fund is not going to be able to pay its obligations past 2019 or 20, 20 yeah 2019. Wow, crazy, dude. Yeah. And that's just this tiny little pension, right? Yeah. But there are tons of pensions that own right. this crap. Well, and and, uh, the, I, and I can't remember the name of the documentary. Matt Damon narrated it. Inside Job. Inside Job. Yeah. I mean, they, they there was a pension, I think it was in the state of Alabama, yeah. that essentially became insolvent because of what was happening with the, you know, with the housing crisis and the meltdown of the market. Yep. And it, how much easier is it to get a car loan, how much easy, you know, how much, how, how many more of these are there going to be packaged, um, you know, versus home loans? How much more common is a, is a car loan versus a home loan? I mean, it just seems like this has the potential to spill over in so many different ways. For sure. And this could even be potentially worse, more yeah. devastating. And that's the thing. It's crazy. Most, and again, I, I, in the beginning, the point was, it's like, okay, from the, from the person at the low, you know, the, the consumer, right? Yeah. Us at the, us at the street level. Okay. How are we affected? We're affected three ways. Okay. We're affected because number one, we can get fleeced with the, the wrong mortgage, right. right? Or a bad car deal, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about and actually in, in, in part two of the podcast. Um, but the second thing is, uh, we are, are, you know, most people's investments, their pensions, okay. Their, their 401k, their retirement accounts are affected by it too. Oh uh, yeah. Whether they have a car loan or not. Okay. Then in the end, who essentially comes to the rescue of all these all these groups the government okay government yeah and who is the government funded by all of us taxpayers yep. so three ways we're hosed mm-hmm. all right so 
looking at you know the issue at hand right now, uh, be cautious. Okay, uh, be aware of what's of what's going on. Just I would I would start to maybe put in your Google alerts or whatever. Just you know uh, uh, CDO or ABS defaults. Okay, or some something to that degree yeah. because the writing's on the wall with student loans. Okay, but the issue with student loans is you know because there's CDO there's there's derivative against those as well. The issue with student loans is that you can you know, essentially, uh, you, you can't bankrupt out of them. Okay, right. car loans, car loans, you can. Yeah. Okay, but the other thing with car loans, which is fascinating, is car loans have recourse. Okay, and what that means is every state has recourse laws, debt recourse laws. You can look at what your state is. It's for mortgages, uh, and it's also for uh, other loans. So basically, what that means is, let's say that you buy a, a twenty-five thousand dollar car. Okay, and you're going good, and you know, you def- you default on it, and it gets repossessed. Okay, let's say it gets repossessed, and you you owe uh, twenty three thousand dollars on it. They sell it at auction for ten thousand. Okay, that difference is thirteen thousand. So what mm-hmm. happens with with that? Okay, banks can actually come after you personally for the deficiency. You know that because you were in the freaking I industry. Say, you, I, I you were an chuckle. attorney representing the shysters that were actually doing that. I was the one who was. <laughs> I, you, you were going and, and suing people. Yeah. So Utah oh, yeah. laws isn't it like ninety days in Utah where they they have ninety days to serve you. If they don't do it within the ninety days, and then, then there's no recourse, right? Something yeah, like that. G- generally, yeah, that's that's kind of the way. Yeah, that's the way it works. Way it works in Utah. That's called a. It's called a deficiency action. In yeah, other deficiency words, judgment or deficiency, deficiency judgment. Yep. Yeah, if it works kind of the same in the mortgage industry as, as it does in the car loan sure. but you know people think kind of the you know oh there was a short sale or you know lost at a foreclosure or you know the car was repoed and sold and then all of a sudden they're shocked to get a bill a or, new, or a, yeah or a new yeah. complaint yep. filing suit against them for well here's the, the deal deficiency. is i think they give them a you get a 1099 right they oh, give you a 1099 yeah. then they sue you <laughs> So, all right. So, there's four ways you get screwed. Yeah, four yep. ways you get screwed. It's right. And yeah. in the end, it's it's insane. It's crazy. All right. Yep. So, you know, you definitely look at the recourse laws in your state because oh, yeah. mortgage recourse. There's some states where it's like ten. The, the statute of limitations yeah. is like ten years, fifteen years, right. which means that you know if you lose a house to foreclosure, right, and you don't file bankruptcy. Then the deficiency between what they sell that at auction for and what you owed, they can come after you for ten years. Oh yeah. There's some states where there is uh, no recourse. Okay, where they right. can, where banks can't do it at all. Okay, yeah. I think Texas is one, Arizona is one. I mean, there's a number of states that fit that criteria. But look at what your state yeah. is. That's hugely important. And maybe one other quick point too, just along the same lines of kind of getting fleeced. You know, in in these types of situations, there are some. Most of my clients were credit unions, right? And. Yep. Credit unions are a little unique, and credit unions are popular. A lot mm-hmm. of people have accounts, uh, loans, and things with credit unions because their rates tend to be a little bit better. Yep. Savings accounts, those types of things tend to pay just a little bit better in mm-hmm. terms of their interest rates. There, There's a unique um, structure, if you will, uh, with credit unions, and that is... If, and again, just because I'm an attorney, don't take any of this as legal advice. I got to give that disclaimer. But I thought you were an attorney. If, well, I, well I am, but yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. interpret this as being legal <laughs> advice or creating an attorney client privilege. Um, if you have a car loan yeah. with a credit union and you also have a bank account with a credit union or a credit card with a credit union and you default on one of those accounts, yep. let's pull. say the car, They'll pull. They, can, they can pull your, yeah. the, well, your, your checking account balance. Well, the thing is, even with a deficiency judgment, right? Mm-hmm. If, they get a, you know, if, you, if you 
uh, are foreclosed on and you get a deficiency judgment because you're in a, a recourse state, yeah. okay, then uh, now they get a judgment. If they find your bank, all they have to do is serve that judgment to the bank yeah. and then they can garnish your account, sure. right? And, and the, wages. This is, yeah, that's, yeah, you can execute on a judgment in a lot of different ways. Yeah. This is even before, before the you judgment? get to judgment. Wow. You don't have to have a judgment. Wow. It's called cross collateralization. Got it. You could Google that term. Basically, what it means is that car acts as collateral not only for the loan that you took, but it acts as collateral against the credit card that you have. If you have a personal loan that's unsecured, not so fast, the car loan collateralizes all of it. Wow. So if you've got money positioned in a savings account, the kid's college fund sitting in a savings account with the same credit union and you default, the kid's college balance just gone. got applied to that loan. Wow. So if you bank with a credit union, it tends to be a good idea to maybe split up the car loan from the bank account. So but, debt, debt from yeah. asset. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, you don't even, they don't even need a judgment to get that. That's so, incredible. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things that can be done and a lot of ways to get fleeced. That's for sure. Sweet. Those zombies, zombie <laughs> banks, zombie finance people, zombie attorneys. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm kidding. Sorry. I'm glad I, you yeah. came. I'm glad you like <laughs> left the dark side. That's right. <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, let's transition. But before we do that, I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, our free e-learning program. It's called Infinite 101. A lot of what we do uh, here is is education. Okay, I would say right. the majority of what we do. And we found a number of years ago that educating online, it's very easy, very simple, and very effective. Self-education these days is is growing by leaps and bounds. Okay, uh, Sites like Coursera or Udemy or Khan Academy mm-hmm. have really revolutionized education. So we kind of got on that bandwagon, create a lot of financial education on our, on our, uh, our free e-learning programs. Okay, So you can go to paradigmlife.net and access our free e-learning program, which is called Infinite 101. Uh, also, we have a free uh, real estate uh, real estate course. And so if you are interested in that, you can contact us at info at paradigmlife.net. Okay, well, let's go to the second part of this just stimulating topic that we're talking about today, uh, which is uh, effectively car buying. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the deal. I want to hit on one one more thing when it comes to uh, when it comes to the, uh, the the who gets you know really hosed in the end. Okay? Yeah. And that is if you look at what happened to home prices. Okay, 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, they tanked. tanked. Okay, so the reason why they tanked is because people defaulted, and then banks were forced to to sell. And obviously, if you're selling and you have fewer buyers uh, than than actual, you have more sellers than buyers. Yeah. Okay, prices are going to to tank, and they, you know, in some in some states there wasn't that much of an impact. Uh, other states there were massive impacts. Yeah. Right, Arizona, uh, Las Vegas, uh, South Florida uh, got hit really, Big really time. bad. Right. Uh, and, and parts of California. So I would say, you know, looking at that, it's a, it's an indication that when there is default, you're going to have uh, price declines of the underlying asset. So looking at car loans, in the end, if if you own your car free and clear, right? If you don't have a loan, if you have amazing, maybe you have amazing credit and a small loan on it, okay? This this whole uh, charade affects you too, yeah. okay? And it affects you. Because if prices across the board decline, your car is value declines, yeah. right? So if you have this 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 big uh, 
the, the tidal wave of defaults and the underlying security tanks, okay, it is going to affect you know jobs. It's going to affect business. It's going to affect uh, other industries, uh, which means less wages, and then less wages means you can't pay as much for your your debt obligations, and it creates you know defaults. Anyway, the point is when all of this kind of you know comes home to roost you're going to have massive price declines. Yeah. And when those price declines happen, it's going to affect you whether you have a loan against your car or not. Right. All right, cool. Just making sure that we covered that, yeah, that point. Yep. All right, so is there is there a way to make money on a car? When you buy a car, because most people look at a car and they're like, it is a depreciating asset. Right. It's, a, it's a waste. And I would say it depends on your perspective. Okay? It right. depends on what you use it for. So if you look at a car, the justification of a car is, does it lose value? For sure. sure. You know, you, it gets appreciated. Um, you know, it, it, there's always another model coming out, which yep. makes yours less desirable. So you have that dynamic going on. But in the end, what's the alternative? Okay, And the alternative is you walk or you <laughs> ride a bike, bike yeah. or you public take transit. public transit. Yeah. But I would say that in our day and age, that is becoming, the alternative is becoming much more attractive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, taking Uber, uh, uh, you know, doing public transit, riding, riding your bike or even walking or yeah. carpooling. It's becoming more popular. So I would say, you know, the first thing really when a person, you know, and, and this is going to be discussed in the ebook that we have coming out, but the first thing is to really identify what the need is. Like, what are you, yeah. gonna, what are you using it for? Um, and is there uh, an alternative? Okay. So that's the that's the first thing. But the second thing is let's kind of go through some of the mechanics. And since you're in the yeah. market to buy a car, maybe talk about what you are doing because you sure. are financially astute. Of course. And you you know that banks screw people because yeah. you represented the banks that were screwing people. Yes. I... <laughs> <laughs> so what are you know what maybe before I get into some of the things that I prepared for, what what do you what do you see? as your due diligence process because i know you super detailed super educated super knowledgeable what are you doing to make sure that not only you get a good car deal but that you make money on a car yeah and on the car protect myself so you know again it depends on you know person and objective and all that kind of thing but i've i've never i've never driven a brand new car off of the lot with zero miles right why not um Again, yeah, I think there are some ways that you can kind of make it work, but but generally speaking, the greatest depreciation happens in, you know, the second that that car is driven off the lot and it starts to hit, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30,000 miles. Mm-hmm. That's the most significant decline in terms of that car's value. Okay. Depending on the car, yeah. some depreciate quicker than others, typically luxury vehicles, yeah. BMWs, Mercedes, etc. You know, you may pay 50, 60 grand brand new, but within a couple of years, maybe it sells for 40, yeah. right? So there's a, a pretty steep decline when it comes to that. So I heard, to rebut your point, okay. I heard if you buy a Ferrari, like a brand oh, new Ferrari, okay. yeah, I'm not, yeah. right? And then you sell it the next year, okay? You'll be able to sell it for like one or 2% less than what you bought it for. Wow. Okay, so you can own a Ferrari yeah, so and just go buy a Ferrari. See, I, I haven't priced out Ferraris. I can see, like, my I, I can see you like stuffing all your kids and kids. wife in the Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> well, my my, my wife's only request because she knows I'm I'm shopping around too, and she's just like, don't I don't want anything too flashy. Okay. Somehow I think the Ferrari would fail the flashiness test. Prob- but, probably. Um, you, you can always like put like 
you can't you put like a like a, a skin over it that will make it look like a a Corolla like or a something. Kia or something. Yeah, you probably could. No, that's the other way around. When people put you know create those like Ferrari kits and they put it over the engine of a Corolla. Oh you know yeah, those ones. Okay. All right. Sorry. Go so ahead. I, I'm just gonna say and and to even maybe rebut my own point, right? My so my brother-in-law is he was he and I have been talking cars for the past couple of months. He pulls into my driveway last night with a brand new, it, it had 30 miles on it, and probably 15 of those 30 were him driving to my house from the dealership, right? It was a just a sweet, white, Chevy, uh, like one-ton dually truck. So he's got horses, and he pulls a trailer, and he does mm-hmm. all this stuff. Basically brand new, right? It's a 2016. This is the time of the year where they start to roll out 17s. Mm-hmm. So he said with manufacturer rebates, dealer rebates, I think he said it was twelve to $14,000 off wow. MSRP, right? Wow. That's not going to be a commuter vehicle. He's mm-hmm. not going to put tons of miles on it. In other words, you know, we had this same discussion. He's like, I could drive this as much as I'm planning to drive it, and in two years probably sell it to a third party for what I paid for it. Sweet. Today, right. That's amazing. That's having had the benefit of driving it, using it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those types of situations, again, depending on the time of the year, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, if it's the model that's being pushed out because a new one's coming in. Um, another uh, instance where this can be hugely beneficial is if you're buying a car where let's say it's the 2016 and the 2017 is a new body style. So the manufacturer wants those 16s gone so that they can push the 17. They're going to cram that thing full of incentives and rewards. Okay, so, so timing is huge. Timing is huge. Okay. Especially with brand new. Timing is huge with brand new. All right, so let's talk Let's talk then. Let's reverse it. Okay. And uh, since you already know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right, you're going to probably do a ton of research. Yeah. You know exactly what you're going to buy. You're going to know what yep. your trading values are. You're going to know all that stuff. Yep. Let's let's talk about the common mistakes people are usually making okay. with, with their car buying. Because yeah. most people are not doing that necessarily. Right. And, okay. and I've got one. I've got one right off the, right out Go of the shoot. It. So. Cool. I'm, I'm, you know, I kind of started with this idea of, you know, if you look at a luxury brand that's a couple of years old and you see a massive depreciation, particularly in those brands, other than Ferrari, right, in, in that first couple of year period, that's kind of the wheelhouse that I'm looking at. So mm-hmm. I'm looking, um, you know, BMW-ish, mm-hmm. right, a couple of years old, yep. you know, fewer than 50,000 miles. So you can still kind of capture a little bit of the warranty. Mm-hmm. You can maybe add an extended warranty to it, but you can you can kind of take advantage of some of that depreciation in that first couple of years. Let somebody else deal with the fact that their vehicle that they bought brand new has depreciated, and then I'll pick it up for roughly the equivalent of what you could buy a you know a nicely equipped Accord or Camry or something like that because yeah. those don't depreciate as as as, as quick. much. Yep. The risk though is when you start to shop around and you see a lot of these um, you know car dealerships that maybe you know that they you know they're advertising these vehicles for instance um, I uh, I have a good a good friend of mine a guy I know well has a used car lot he picks up a lot of these luxury brands mm-hmm. at auction at auction right so uh, luxury vehicles that were leased right for a couple of years and now they're coming up at, at the end of that lease and the manufacturer is auctioning them off to these car buyers, yeah, right? Because they need to clear inventory for the, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, they've got a clear inventory. Yep. They're not in the business of selling tons of used cars. They want the new stuff. Yep. So a guy like my my friend, he goes to you know Vegas, LA, Chicago, Atlanta, Phoenix, 
these are kind of locations that are, are that are commonly known as, as as these big auction sites. He goes in, he buys his inventory, and then he brings them back and he sells them at his lot. Right, hmm. he picks them up at auction. But of course, not all of those cars that are being auctioned off are created equal. They're in mm-hmm. varying levels of uh, condition, mm-hmm. yep. right? Um, and mileage. And mileage, yep. right? Um, and so I've got him looking for me, cool. right? To, he, he knows kind of the wheelhouse that I'm in, you know, years, mileage, et cetera, good condition. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turned out, today is actually the day of the uh, Vegas auction. And last night, he gets the list of the vehicles that are that'll be there. Mm-hmm. There aren't any in in terms of what I'm looking for, the year, the mm-hmm. mileage, all of that. There aren't any, right? So I just sort of out of curiosity, I start looking around online. I find exactly what I'm looking for at another dealership, mm-hmm. kind of a competitor of his. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, <clears throat> tell me about this one. You know, I send him the link. I text it to him. Tell yeah. me about this one. What's the deal here? It looks like good price. Years right there, mileage is right there. What's the deal with this one? He texts me the Carfax report, right? You, you looking at the listing online, it looks great. Yeah. I'd see no issues with it. He sends me the Carfax report. It's been involved in two accidents. Ooh, okay. Okay. So it hadn't ever been totaled. Hmm. So it wasn't a branded title or anything like that. Typically dealers will say, oh, branded title, clean title. Yep. But there's a whole spectrum in between that. Hmm. That maybe it's not technically branded, but it's not technically clean either, Hmm. right? So then he sent me, so it was priced at whatever it was priced at. Based on the Carfax report, the Carfax was showing the value as being about $6,000 less Less. than that dealer was selling it for. And so I called him and said, dude, what's the deal? How can they get away with that? And he's like, I I actually kind of know them. You know, you you cross paths at, at auctions. And he's like, I buy my stuff in the first hour to two hours of the auction, the stuff that's clean, the stuff that mm-hmm. that's good. They he's buy like, the second half? They buy the second <laughs> half. They're the ones staying there all yeah. four hours, and they're buying at the end. Yeah. And he said, I asked him about it. And their response was, if somebody asks, if they say flat out, has it been in an accident, I'll, of course, tell them. Hmm. But if they don't ask, and if they don't run the Carfax themselves... I'm not going to say it. Why would I draw attention to that? That's crazy. Like I'm going to sell it for what I can sell it for, and it's kind of buyer beware. Huh. So that I mean, that was last night, literally. That well, this that is I had that conversation. and this is all it's crazy. And this is all again. This is I would say the the biggest thing that separates a person from making money mm-hmm. with this transaction, which everybody takes part in, and the person that loses money, yeah. okay, is their level of education, right? Because oftentimes I would say that when a person walks away buying a car, they don't know whether they've lost or won. Sure. Right. And I think the, for the most part, it's because of the education level. Yeah. So and, education, what I mean, what would you say are some of the ways in which a person can become educated about the different aspects of buying a car? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would say, I mean, th- this day and age, especially with all the resources that exist online. I mean, I, there are so many websites, um, NADA, mm-hmm. Edmonds, yep. Kelly Blue Book. Mm-hmm. I think once you kind of know what you're looking for in terms of the type of vehicle, the year, the mileage, mm-hmm. You need to know what the generally what the fair market value of that vehicle is, at yep. least what what the range is. But, but you can find the 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 two main values: MSRP, mm-hmm. which is retail, right? Okay, and private party, and then private party. But you can also know what dealer price is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of ways in which you can find out what the dealer price is. So now you see kind of like what they're what the difference between what they're selling it for and what they mm-hmm. bought it for is. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the first thing. It's huge. Okay. Second thing I would say is you know really knowing what you what you need, mm-hmm. right? And and what you're budget is. So how are you figuring out what you need and what your budget is? Yeah. So, I mean, 
need obviously is a Sub- it's is so, a relevant term. Yeah, you know, I mean, need, yeah. we, I think a lot of times we confuse need with want, yep. and you know, I think it's luxuries become towards, necessities. Yeah, to more towards want. Um, yeah, so I, I think for me, it's kind of taking a step back and saying, what's the purpose of this vehicle going to be? Mm-hmm. Is this my family vehicle? Mm-hmm. You know, are we driving it as a family? Or in my case, this is more or less your commuter. commuter. Right. I could put a couple of kids in the back seat if, if I had to. But by and large, this is me driving it every day. I usually run a rough calculation of how many miles I drive per year. Okay. And I kind of factor that into, okay, how how quickly is this vehicle going to age? How quickly is it going to come up upon, you know, maintenance and repairs? And what's it going to cost to perform those? Um, I like to build in a lot of kind of estimates when it comes to that so that I know, and that's another uh, another term that I think is helpful for people to know, and that is cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. So you can go to different websites and you can calculate what the cost of ownership is with respect to a particular vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you can say, well, is a Honda Accord more expensive to own in terms of cost of ownership mm-hmm. versus a Mercedes, Mercedes yep. or a Volkswagen Jetta, yep. or whatever the case might be, mm-hmm. and they'll calculate you know, when maintenance is likely to be necessary Mm -hmm. and what the cost is associated with that maintenance. And you can then say it's cheaper to own this versus that. Okay. So all of, and all of this, again, is done in advance of doing it. This is all due diligence. This is all research. Okay. You don't want to be the the guy and just to, yeah, you don't (laughs) want to be the guy that you, you get distracted by that picture online and that sounds like a fair price and you go in and buy it. And then you discover after the fact when you take that vehicle for maintenance or something and they say, oh, by the way, did you know that the frame is bent, right? And that vehicle that you picked up for 30 grand is only worth 25. That's got to be a really frustrating thing. Okay, so what, else, so what else can you, because we have a few, few minutes left, then we'll end, yep. this, end this thing. So I would say, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is research, right? Oh, knowing, yeah. what, knowing what you're buying, mm-hmm. knowing what, what pricing is, okay? But then, you know, the second thing is uh, the... Uh, financing and then we'll do the mm-hmm. third thing as the dealerships okay so financing so the cost of ownership a lot of it sometimes has to do with you know the financing aspect yep. okay now there are, are traditionally about three ways in which you can purchase a car you can purchase it cash mm-hmm. okay or with your own finance or with your own financing that you qualify for up front right okay the second thing is uh, is the dealer financing, okay, mm-hmm. provided by the manufacturer, and then the third thing is a lease, right? Okay, so if you look at those those three ways, okay, is it going to be the same? You don't know. So right. again, you know, you talked about the cost Due of ownership. Yeah. We did, you know, we we basically built a calculator uh, with our that'll go along with the ebook. That basically will show, okay, here's the price for cash and uh, and private financing. Here's the the uh, the total cost associated with um, uh, dealer financing and their incentives. And then here's the cost associated with leasing. And it'll show you kind of what the cost of ownership is going to be, uh, respective of all those options, and show you which one in the end will be the best bet for, for you. you. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that really comes down to how you know this last part which is how you are 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 treated when you show up to the actual dealership itself now these guys have you know obviously a stigma a stereotype associated yeah. with who they are and what they try to do uh and rightfully so yeah okay they you know are, are guys that you know are, they want to sell stuff yeah. right and they are professionally trained to do so so when they come on they have everything from like how the dealer floor is positioned to um how they're dressed to you know the position of their desk to the lighting everything is designed yeah. right to put you in this framework of of buying it's like a vegas casino you it know is. With how things are yeah it is it's positioned it. very strategically right and in the end understanding that interaction and what is typically going to take place 
Okay, you can do some due diligence online to mm-hmm. understand that because if you start to get swayed and don't know what they're going to be saying or why they're saying it, then you they're you're going to succumb to their you know to their uh, tractor beam. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's another thing, and I and I think looking at you know really where most people get hoses is in that type of transaction. Right. Okay. Uh, and then the final thing I would say kind of goes along with uh, the pricing side of things is uh, the price of the car versus the payment. Yep. Okay, so let's talk talk about that. Right, payment is obviously very very important, but really when it comes to how uh, these guys kind of push push their vehicle and push you mm-hmm. know the options and and so forth is based on the is based on the uh, uh, the payment. Yeah. Not not the price. Right. Okay, and that is I think where people get really oh, yeah. hosed. Yeah. No. And just to maybe speak on that, I again I have a good couple of good friends in uh, in the in the car industry, um, and I remember one time. Uh, having a discussion, uh, there were a few of us kind of mingling around talking about cars, and a, a good friend of mine was just sort of talking out loud about how he needed a car. And the guy who was in the industry said, well, what payment do you are you comfortable with? In other words, it doesn't matter what that you, you can make, you can take this massive car purchase, and oh, yeah. depending on how long you want to spread it out yep. and different things that you want to do, you'll cram it into to get the a high, certain payment. To be able to get the highest price. Yep, exactly. And so that's, that's, that, those are the term, those are the terms that they speak in. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, what do you want your monthly payment to be? Not what do you want the purchase price to be? Cool. All right. Well, we, we are pretty much out of time, but this is good. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is a good discussion. Very, very uh, timely that you were yeah, in the yeah. market. But this is a purchase, you know, that everybody makes right. right yeah and i think the perspective that you know, we try to have and what we teach clients is to uh, to look at every transaction where you you're benefiting from every transaction including transactions like a car transaction right. okay and there are many ways to do that a lot of it comes from saving as opposed to paying more than what what you should right. okay but also looking at the fact that you know cars are one of those things where there's there's alternatives and it may make sense in certain circumstances to not get one there may make sense to get this type of vehicle versus another type mm-hmm. of vehicle so really Looking at transactions and being efficient and productive with your money in the in the long run, it's it's huge. it's huge. So looking at you know what we calculated for those that really don't understand the game, okay, there is essentially throughout your entire lifetime millions of dollars that the average person is going to lose, mm-hmm. right? Because you factor in what they're going to pay, then you factor in opportunity cost, right? Then you know it, uh, and then also credit into the mix. Yeah, it if it's a uh, it spirals you out of control. So it, it accounts into the millions, and that'll be part of the calculation we'll show in the the ebook. But Sweet. anyway, look That's for that awesome. in the next uh, next couple couple of months. But uh, but we'll go ahead and, and end. Thanks everybody for listening this week. Hope you got some stuff out of out of this. Hopefully you go out and you uh, make some money buying a car. <laughs> All right, that's it for now. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show. Your gold standard in everything financial.